Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for being here today. I thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. I thank you for being able to worship with you. I thank, thank you for no matter where we are right now, we're able to, to gather together digitally to, to worship your name, to learn about you. I pray that you will speak through me in a mighty way right now. As we come to the close of this series, God, I pray that you'll move us to a lifestyle that is full of prayer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, my name is Alex DeRosa. I'm the Family Life Pastor here at New Life, and I'm really, really excited to be able to end our series called New Beginnings, the Lord's Prayer. We've been going over for the last eight weeks different parts of the Lord's Prayer, and as a part of our prayer emphasis to kick off 2021. And it's been so exciting to see how God is moving and using you and me and just everyone that is, is a part of this for his kingdom, for his glory. And so although we're ending this series in really our emphasis in this message about prayer, that doesn't mean that we're ending our time of dedicated praying. We're going to be still be praying. We're going to be still be calling on God for big things to happen. And as we've seen big things happen, we want that just to continue. We want to be a part of what God is doing on this earth. But with that said, I am excited to bring this series to a close because there's something satisfying of getting to the end of something, whether it's like a remodel project in your house or it's turning in a paper for school or it's getting to the end of a good book. Recently, I just finished reading a good book. It's called Xenocide. It's a science fiction book, and I love reading. Now, now that I'm a pastor, I've gotten really into reading leadership books, and there's some favorites that I have, like Thanks for the Feedback and... Um, know What You're For, and other books that are in that similar vein. Fairness is overrated. Good stuff, good to great. But my favorite style of reading, my favorite genre, is still fiction. I love science fiction. I love fantasy books. So like The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, Percy Jackson, Ender's Game, all of those are phenomenal. And I really just love getting into the books. And as I finished this Xenocide book recently, what I realized upon reflection is that I generally take the same trajectory every time I'm reading. It goes through four phases. The first phase is I casually start to encounter the book. Occasionally, if I have time, I'll pick up the book and read it. I'll just get a little comfortable with, with what's going on and the story and the characters. And it won't be like necessarily on my to-do list, but I'll have the book nearby. And if I get a little chance to read, I'll read a little bit. And then step two happens. And this is when I make an internal commitment to read the rest of the book. Because there's been plenty of books that I've started to read and I don't really like and I stop reading, I pick something else up. But this in step two is where I say, okay, I'm going to make a plan to read. So I'm going to put it on my agenda. This Friday, instead of binging another episode of The Office, as much as I want to relive Pam and Jim falling in love for the 10th time, or as much as I want to see Cousin Matthew and friends hang out in Downton Abbey, I'm going to not do that on Friday. I'm going to instead read this book because I want to. I want to engage some more. When I'm going to go on a vacation, I'm going to say, this is the book that I'm going to take so I can continue reading. I make a commitment to read the book. And then step three happens, and I love step three, because it goes from being like something I can do when I have the opportunity, something I plan to do, to something that I need to do. It's like a compulsion. I'm going to read this book no matter what, whenever I can, because I'm so hooked that I want to just continue diving into the story. So this means that I'm going to stay up late. I'm not really good at staying up late. Once it gets to like 1030, I'm no fun to be around. I don't really have a filter anymore, and I don't really like to, to interact. I just get tired and, and kind of cranky. And, but when it comes to reading books, I'm going to be up to like 3 a.m. If, if I can, I'm just until my eyes shut, because I want to engage in that book. 
Or it's something as simple as like, hey, Rachel, can we go to your parents' house today? I know they're like an hour and 10 minutes away. And when we do that, could you drive so that I could uh, read some more of this book? Or I'll be watching the kids and I'll say, hey, I know that you guys love Lion King or you love Toy Story. Can we put it on for the 100th time? And I'll give you some snacks. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, cool, I'm going to read. And so I get into it until I finish the book. It's just like a marathon sprint at the very end of it. And then when I get done, I give myself a little fist pump for finishing a book. Because again, it's great to feel that feeling of conclusion. And then I put it on a bookshelf. But there is a step four. And the step four is going to my computer or getting on my phone and Googling the author and seeing, do they write anything else? Wait a second. There's a sequel? Hold up. There's a trilogy? This is one part of five books. I'm going to get all of them and I'm going to continue reading them because I want to be a part of that world. I want to still be immersed with what the author is telling, the story that he's telling or she's telling. And so I get really excited. I buy the extra books and then the, the process starts over really for me again. But after I got done kind of thinking through that in my own head and the weird steps that I take when I read books, I realized that that is the same trajectory I took when I accepted Jesus, really, when I started engaging with the church. Maybe you can relate with this. So step one for me was to get invited to a youth group. And I wasn't committed to a youth group right away. I would show up and I'd get pizza. And then if I could, if my schedule aligned with church or with youth group, I would go. I mean, no hard feelings when I didn't go. It just wasn't that big of a part of my plan. But if I could go, I would. And then part two happened, and it was a commitment. I was going to go to youth group on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. I was going to go to church on the weekends. It was part of my plan. I would plan to go to summer camps or a fall retreat. It was just what I was going to do. I wanted to learn more. And eventually, I became committed not just to going, but to Jesus, ultimately, as my Lord, my owner, and my savior, my rescuer from sin and death. And then step three happened. And it was just, that's what life was. It was no longer a choice. Like, hey, are you going to church today? It was like, of course I'm going to church. Like, that is what I'm doing. I'm like, are you going to small group today? Yeah, I'm going to small group. It's part of my life. It was a compulsion. It wasn't even anything I had to think about anymore. It was gonna happen. When a retreat happened, I was going to go. And now we are still in that kind of mode most of the time where it's like, okay, are we gonna bring our kids to new life kids? Yes, absolutely. Are we gonna go as adults to small group? Yes. Yep, absolutely. That's just what I am doing. It's what my wife is doing. Stage three. But recently, over the last couple of years, I realized that there was a fourth step. And I know I'm saying stage or step or phase, whatever. There's a fourth step or stage or phase that was happening in the world that I really wasn't being a part of. I feel like in my life, I had gotten comfortable. So much so that I put the book on the bookshelf and I gave myself a fist bump and I was like, I've made it. I'm a Christian. I work in a Christian job. I have a Christian wife. I have Christian friends. We hang out, and it's a lot of fun. And I'm pretty satisfied with hanging out in step three. But then I was invited by Pastor Chris to go on a missions opportunity to uh, a country in the Caribbean. He had given me a call and said that there was one spot available. He needed me to answer by the next week, and I was going to go partner with him and teach pastors and, and serve, really, the nation. And I remember going home and thinking, I don't know if I really want to. That's out of my comfort zone. I don't like to travel that much. I don't like to sleep in somewhere that's not my own bed or eat food that's not the food that I generally like to eat. But God really convicted me and said, you got to go. So I called Pastor Chris back up and I said, my wife and I talked, I'm going to go. The next year, Pastor Barry gave me a very similar call, but this time about going to Vietnam. And again, I was conflicted, but I said yes. And then the following year, I planned a trip to go to Myanmar. So this wasn't me uh, being convinced about it. This was me saying, I need to go. Because what happened in those first couple years was I started to realize what 
was going on in the world around me that I wasn't even noticing. I met pastors in the Caribbean that were fighting against their government to keep their churches alive. I never experienced that before. I met people in Vietnam that talked about how they went to prison because they wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. They knew that they weren't allowed to, but they were talking about Jesus so much so that they were in prison and now they had been released from prison and were allowed to to continue preaching about Jesus. And then I went to Myanmar and met a guy named Chung Nung who talked about how he had to part with his only valuable possession, his wedding ring, to provide shoes for orphans. These were people that were giving up their lives, their everyday lives, their comfort, their satisfaction to move to step four, where it was everything about their life. That they noticed that the author, that God was continuing in the story, that his movement was continuing on this planet, and they wanted to partner with it no matter what it took. And I came back different. I came back from each of those trips different, and I started to realize that, sure, maybe I was alive, but I necessarily wasn't living for God and partnering with his kingdom as actively as I could have been with my whole entire life. The story was going on, the movement was happening around me, but I needed to start engaging. And that's really our take-home point. It's the one point that this message is all about, and it's simply this. The movement of God is forever, and we are called to be a part of it. The movement of God is forever, and we are called to be a part of it. What that means is the movement of God isn't just an event. It's not a one-time deal. It's not even an organized thing that happens all, all, all every single week on a certain time. It's a lifestyle change. It's the idea of giving everything over to Jesus. And when Jesus walked this earth, his disciples understood this because they learned it directly from Jesus. His 12 disciples were 12 guys that Jesus had called and asked them to follow him. So they designed their lives after Jesus. They wanted to live with him. They weren't just his 12 best friends. It was more than that. They wanted to be like Jesus. And they started to watch Jesus and how he acted. And now he would speak on Saturdays or Sundays, whatever, in the synagogues. He would teach sometimes, but he didn't just stop there. He would hang out with his disciples, his best friends, but he didn't just stop there. His mission, the movement of God that he wanted to be a part of, was healing the sick was going to the demon-possessed and casting out demons, was telling people about the good news of God, was going to the marginalized and the unlovable and telling them about the love and the forgiveness of God. He did amazing things on this earth. And the disciples realized that that's what they wanted to be a part of. They didn't just want to feel good about knowing Jesus. They wanted to be a part of changing people's lives. So they learned what Jesus was doing. And eventually, as they were watching Jesus, they noticed that he would be praying all the time. And he would be praying before amazing things would happen. And so they went to him and said, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? Can you teach us about this fire that fuels the movement? Can you teach us about the secret sauce that you sprinkle over everything that you do? And so Jesus responded, with a prayer. And this is what we've been going on through this series. We've been walking through each step, and we find it in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And it says this, and it's written by a guy named Matthew. I think that's important because Matthew is one of his disciples who did leave everything, who sacrificed his wealthy job as a tax collector to follow Jesus. After he decided to follow Jesus, he actually had everyone over to his house to meet Jesus, and it was really incredible. But Matthew would then later go write down everything that Jesus talked about and including this prayer. It says this, Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. 
May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And so each week we've been going through this because Jesus, when he responded, it wasn't like a flippant response. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, these are some nice words that you can pray for and and I hope they work out for you. He was giving a game plan for how to join the kingdom of God, how to live out this movement lifestyle for God's glory, for his kingdom, and ultimately for eternity. And so what we've been doing is kind of taking apart this game plan and walking through it. And the first part was our Father where we spoke about how God is the perfect father. And everything God does is as father. He creates, he disciplines, he loves as father. We also learned that saying God is a father isn't a handy metaphor that the Bible uses to help us understand him. All human fathers are supposed to reflect him. Some do that well, and some more closely reflect the devil. We learn that when we compare earthly fathers to God, that's the right frame of mind, not comparing God to earthly fathers because he is perfect. Our father in heaven. In heaven was the second part, and and Pastor Mark did a great job of, of talking about how not only is God this loving, amazing father, but he's also this righteous, powerful king. And still he invites us to enter his throne room and speak to him Hebrews 4.16, kind of merging these ideas perfectly. It talks about how Jesus died on the cross so we can enter God's presence. It says this, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. A lot of kings throughout history didn't just let people boldly approach their throne ever, family members or anyone else. But God is saying, I am the most powerful being in the universe, but I love you and come boldly to me and you receive not what you deserve being hell and death, but my forgiveness and my love. Come boldly to me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed be your name was always the hardest part of the prayer for me because we don't use the word hallowed very often. It didn't make, didn't make a lot of sense for me, but Pastor Chris used a translation that did make sense to me. He said this, may supreme honor be given to you. May supreme honor be given to God. Let us lift up honor to him. Let us bring our praises to him, our tithes, our offerings to him. And something that Pastor Chris said that week has still my head spinning. It got my head spinning then and it's continuing to spin now because I thought it was so profound that it impacted me. He said, God isn't diminished when we fail to sing praises to him. We are. God isn't poor because we failed to bring him tithes and offerings. We are. We are diminished and we're poor when we don't bring those things to God. And I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be more diminished. I want to be able to honor God by bringing our praise and our offerings. It's cool because it's changed my mind from thinking of like we sing to God, you're good, you're good, and God's up in heaven and be like, Thank you. Me? Oh, that's so nice of you guys. Instead, it'd be like, God knows that. He's aware of that, but it draws us close to him. He is pleased when we do it, and it allows us to be living this abundant life that God has called us to do when we acknowledge that his name should be holy. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this was week four, and this was said during the message that, again, stuck with me. When we do our Father's will, 
His kingdom is here. Every time you or I follow God's commands in our lives, the kingdom of God is in that place. So how do we bring about the kingdom? How do we join in the movement of God, which is changing lives, healing the sick, bringing people to salvation? We follow God's will. And when we follow God's will, when we forgive as he's asked us to forgive, as we love as he's told us to love, his kingdom comes to earth and people start to experience who God is. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. It's talking about giving us what we need. Not necessarily what we want, but what we need. Our take-home point from week five during this series was when we put our Heavenly Father first, He supplies what we need. First. Not like God is important alongside ten other things like sports and work and our marriage, but He is the priority above all of it. When we put Him first, He gives us everything we need. When I was in Vietnam and the pastors were talking about going to prison, they weren't bragging about being in prison. They weren't mad and complaining about being put in prison. What they were saying is God sustained them during a very hard time and used even the time in prison for God's glory because he gave us what, he gave them what they needed. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Maybe my favorite illustration from the whole series came from this message when Pastor Chris was talking about how Nancy and him were in the car together and they were parked and someone came and just hit their car. And it made Chris so mad that he said, I just wanted to punch the dude in the face. And I kind of love that. I mean, one, I love it because my pastor saying, like, I want to punch some dude in the face, but also because I could relate with that. There's often times where people wrong me and I just want to hold it against them or I want to get them back. I want some revenge or I want them to feel the pain that I'm feeling. I was really good at this in high school and even in college, even just the physical altercations. I would get in fights, which you look at me and you're like, you're not going to win a lot of fights, Alex. Do you know that? And that's fair. But I wouldn't only get in fights myself. And when I did, I would kind of fight unfair so that I could maybe have a chance of winning. Not that that's good. But then eventually I started to wise up and I got my bigger friends to fight the fights for me because at my heart, I've always kind of been a delegator. But what I've learned through the years and what Pastor Chris talked about is that doesn't help people. It doesn't help people when we get back at them. It's not good for people when we do that. And in fact, if we are going to bring God's kingdom to earth, if we're going to call upon him, if we're going to live in this movement, in mission for God, everywhere we live, everywhere we work, everywhere we play, we have to forgive people as God forgives us. And he's forgiven us for everything. He didn't need to forgive us. He didn't have to sacrifice his son but he did. And so when, when Pastor Chris was talking about that, it hit me hard because there's people that I was holding grudges against still that I didn't want to let go of. And during that message, it made me feel so humbled. Like, who am I to hold stuff against other people when God doesn't hold stuff against me? And ultimately, if Pastor Chris were to punch that guy, if we were to continue to get revenge, it doesn't help people. In fact, the only real thing that changes people, including ourselves, is the forgiveness and love of God. The only thing that changes people is God and his love 
and forgiveness. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pastor Barry talked about this last week. He spoke about this idea that God is fighting our battles for us, that there's battles currently going on that we aren't aware of because they're in the spiritual realm, but God is doing battle on our behalf. And I loved it because he asked them questions and he answered them during this message. He said, do we have a God who stands at a distance? No, no. We have an active father who is with us. Even in the darkest valley, we get to walk this through with him and he is with us. This movement that we get to be a part of, this kingdom that we're called to be a part of, to bring to earth, is one that is joined together with God, the almighty God who has all power in the universe. He doesn't just say, oh yeah, go do my work. He said, I'm going to do the work with you. I want you to partner with me because he's already working on this planet and he's asked us to join him in it. And he's going to give us the strength to fight against those temptations and through those trials and master those tests. Because he is God. And so while we walk through this prayer, we've learned about him, a lot about God, but about how we can engage with him in the work that he's doing on this earth through prayer and really through our lives. And at this point, we've actually come to the conclusion of what we've talked about in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. But the end of that isn't really the end, because if you know the Lord's Prayer, and you might not, and that's okay, because we'll keep going through it, there's one more line. And I had to actually look at the Amplified Bible to find it. So this is Matthew 6, 13, Amplified Bible. It says this, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So, just some fun facts for you. I had to look at the Amplified Bible specifically because that last line isn't in all the translations. It's not in the New Living Translation that we've been going through. Actually, when I sat down to set uh, this message together, put it together, I had a little panic attack because I opened up my New Living Translation Bible and it wasn't in there. So wait a second, I thought, I, was, I thought there was one more line. I thought I had to do another line. Where is it? So I did some research and what I realized was that when people started to transcribe the original manuscripts of God's Word, so they, they took it and they, they would write it together word by word and they would pass it out and they would continue doing that until there's a, a bunch of copies of the Bible around. Well, eventually there's copies everywhere and they started to realize that some of the editions had this last line, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Some of them didn't. And so what they did was kind of played it safe because maybe Jesus said it, maybe Jesus didn't. And so they kind of took it out. And now in some translations, it's in brackets because it's good. It's still good. It still applies. It still has biblical backing for why it's there. But it might not have been exactly what Jesus said in this prayer. However, there is precedence in God's word for it. In fact, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11, it says something very similar to it. It says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. We have it right there. The kingdom, the power, the glory. Yours is the kingdom over all things. And these are really the keys. 
If we're looking to say, all right, I want to take that step forward. I want to go into a spirit-led life that is partnering with God and what he's doing on this planet. I want to be a part of a movement that changes lives. I don't want to just be in my comfort. I don't want to just be satisfied of putting the book on the shelf and giving it a thumbs up and maybe a fist bump. If I want to join in what God is doing, it happens with engaging in his kingdom, with his power, and understanding and experiencing his glory. And so yours is the kingdom, which makes sense because he's the king. He's the one who is above all things. He has been king forever. He was king, he is king, and he will be king. In fact, long before we arrived on this earth, his kingdom reigned. And long after we depart from this world, his kingdom will reign. He's in charge and he sets the direction. Before anything else on this planet, we are citizens of his kingdom. Before anything else, if we have given our lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior, our first priority is to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven because yours is the kingdom and yours is the power. All power belongs to God. And you can see on this earth that people like power. We see it all the time. People are trying to gain power. We hear about it. We hear about military power, political power, celebrities trying to get fame and power. But what is true is that any power you can accumulate on this earth is only a faint reflection of the power God possesses. It's only a pale reflection of God's power. Because, sure, can we get together with medical science, and is some of that a modern miracle? Absolutely. And can doctors go and use medicine, and those things where they go clear, boom, and they bring someone back? Yes. But can people bring people back from the dead by sheer will? No. That power belongs to God alone. Can we travel all throughout the world? Well, in in certain times of the year, we can, and if COVID isn't happening, we can get our passport, we can get it stamped, we can go travel around, but can we be all places at all times? No. Can we build a bookshelf, maybe with directions or without, depending on your skill, on building bookshelves? Yeah, but can you just make a bookshelf happen by just thinking about it and by saying it? Bookshelf! No, we can't, but God can. All power belongs to him. He is the most powerful being in the universe, because yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory. In Ephesians, it talks about this power. It talks about a description of really what this resurrection amazing power is that Jesus has. In Ephesians 1, 19 through 20, it says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. God He has all the power. This resurrection power that we're talking about, that resurrected Jesus, is within us if we give our lives over to God. That Holy Spirit is able to join with us. And so as we work in this world, as we talk to people about Jesus, that same power is partnering with us. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. A couple years ago, I did a deep dive about what glory means because I'd seen it all throughout God's word. It was in songs. I just didn't really get it. And I found this book by a guy named Guillermo Maldonado. And I have a hard time pronouncing the name. Actually, last time I used this quote in a message a couple years ago, I pronounced it Guillermo. And my wife afterwards was like, that's not how you pronounce the name. So it's Guillermo Maldonado. And he refers to the glory of God as this. The glory of God is eternity revealed on earth. Eternity, heaven on earth. Anytime, anytime we see miracles happen, when people are healed, 
where demons are cast out. And that stuff happened. You can talk to the staff here. You can talk to volunteers here. You can talk to people here. God is still doing miracles today. You go overseas into these countries that have huge faith, you're seeing miracles happen. And those, when those miracles happen, that's glory on earth. When you're in worship and you feel the presence of God among you, that is heaven revealed on earth. When you get this ability from God to forgive someone, not when they ask for forgiveness, not when they earn forgiveness, but when you give them forgiveness because God tells you to, glory on earth. Because his is the kingdom. His is the glory. His is the power. And if we are going to be part of this life and really affect and bring about change and impact people's lives, we must do it in the midst of his kingdom using his power and his glory. And it really starts with giving our lives to Jesus can't do it without him as our owner. We can't do it without him as our Lord. And for a long time, what I thought that meant was as if I owned an apartment building. Walk along with me on this. Imagine you own an apartment building. And I thought it was like when Jesus came into my life as Lord and owner, it was like me giving him the keys to apartment 2B. There you go. That apartment yours, Jesus. That little square room, that's great. That's yours. It has a bathroom. You can renovate what you want in there. Paint the walls. Go at it. Put up posters. Who cares? There's a nice poster about footprints on sand. Buy that one. Put it up. It's yours. But really what Jesus is saying is, no, no, no. I want the keys to the whole apartment building. I want all of it under my control. I want to be able to renovate and reclaim and restore and remove what I see fit. But too often what I was doing is I was holding stuff back. I was like, but that's that's my stuff. I want to keep it. I like it. It brings me enjoyment. And some of that stuff God will use for his kingdom and some of it he'll kick out. But we must be willing to give him the authority to make those calls. In fact, Committing to living for Jesus is the end. It has to be the end of our old lives and the beginning of our forever lives. That's how we partner with him, is we say, all right, take it, all of it. Have the keys to everything. So how do we apply this knowledge to our everyday lives? I think in three steps. The first one is this. We give the keys of our lives over to Jesus completely. We give the keys of the apartment building, all of it, to Jesus. The second thing, we pray and stay ready for opportunities to bring the kingdom to earth with glory and power. We're ready. We're ready for whatever God calls us to do. Whenever I was talking to people overseas and hard times hit, they were so prayed up that when opportunities arose, they knew how to react. Can we be that ready? I mean, Western PA, we're really good at being ready for storms. Like if a snowstorm is about to hit, we go and buy all the food and all the toilet paper. When COVID threatened to shut us all down, what do we do? We bought more toilet paper than we could ever use in a lifetime. We were ready for those storms. Can we be ready for what God is calling us to do by going through the Lord's Prayer, by praying, by calling upon God? The third thing, we become, and this is hard, I get it, we become comfortable with things getting uncomfortable. When I talked to the guy in Myanmar, Chung Nung, about him selling his ring to provide shoes, that wasn't comfortable. That wasn't an easy decision, but it was one that allowed people to see the love of Jesus. Recently, I got to experience this in just a small way. I'm part of a small group here at New Life that meets on Friday mornings for breakfast. And at this small group, we've been meeting for like three years. And we love each other. It's a great group of guys who form this community and we care for each other and we share our lives with one another and we, we help each other out and we are in need. And that's great. 
But recently, our favorite waitress fell and broke her arm in a couple places. And it was so bad that she was going to be out for like eight to ten weeks, and she did like all kind of stuff in her arm to, to fix her up. And so Tim Goddess, the leader of our small group, called the restaurant and said, hey, is there any help that's being given to her? And they said, well, there's some help, but not much financially. And so he asked them for her address or number, and he contacted us and said, we got to serve. We got to serve our favorite wages. We got to show her the love of Jesus. So he pulled together about 800 bucks, and, and then Tim put that in an envelope, and he got this, uh, this uh, bunch of flowers, roses, and he brought it over to her house and put the envelope of money, and he, he gave her a card and it said, from the breakfast club on Friday mornings. And he gave his number, and she gave him a call later on, and she was overwhelmed with emotion, and they were able to pray together. And then Tim went and got blessing bags and was able to bless her in that way too. And then he sent this text message telling us at the small group about what happened. And it was so exciting. I called him up right away. And I was like, man, that's amazing. I can't believe we were able to help in that way. And his response was good. He said, this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. We've spent years, and we talked about this on the phone, and then we talked about it with our small groups. We've spent years focusing inwardly on us, on building relationships. We've spent time focusing on God, but we haven't spent enough time outwardly. We were in, we were up, but we weren't out yet. And we said, this is what it's about, of doing all those things. If we want to partner with God's community, if we want to partner with what he's doing, with his kingdom, with his movement, we got to get comfortable with being a little uncomfortable. And part of that is calling up a restaurant and saying, can I have the waitress's number? That's not comfortable. No matter how old you are, that's not comfortable. And, and giving money up unexpectedly, that's not comfortable either. But we said, okay, we got to get a little uncomfortable for God's kingdom to come to earth. And so we're not stopping there. We started to focus on how can we do this more. And we set a game plan and action to be more outwardly focused because that ultimately is what it's about. That's what we want to do. It's what we want to partner with on this earth. And it starts by praying. It starts by praying and asking God, how can we partner with you? And so that's why we've gone through the Lord's Prayer. That's why we've walked through it, because it's so transformational, fundamental for our lives. If we want to see real change, we must seek after God. Now, during this series, we've walked through each and every word in the prayer except one, the very last one. And the word is simply amen. For a long time, I thought amen was just kind of like a shut-off button. Like you get done uh, watching TV and you just get the power button on the remote. And I thought that's what amen was. Okay, we're done. Here, let's move on. But here's the definition of amen. It says, amen means let it be true or simply the truth. Let it be true or simply the truth. And so when we're ending our prayer and we're ending our series today, we're not really ending it. We're honestly asking for it to happen. So when we're saying amen after we say, Jesus, be my Lord, we're saying, honestly, truly, take my life, all of it. When we're saying, God, fulfill my daily needs, amen. We're saying, truly, take care of me, please. Give me what I need. We're saying, help me to partner with you. We're saying, truly, give me opportunities for this. So when we pray, we pray with expectation. We pray and we end it with an amen saying, I believe in you, God, that you can do mighty things. And so let's do that. Let's live that out, whether we start it or we continue it. Let's live with this amen mentality, this truth mentality, the let it be truly idea in our lives. Now, I've always said that I like praying in the mornings, not because I'm a morning person. I've already claimed to not be a night person, not super much of a morning person, but I like it because at first I liked it on, if I'm just being honest, I liked it because it was like checking off something in my day. 
But the more and more I did it, what I realized was this. When we pray, we aren't doing it to get something out of the way. We are setting the direction for the day. So whether you pray in the morning or at night, whatever it is, midday, pray in the way to set the direction for the rest of your day, ultimately the rest of our lives. Let's pray in such a way for big things, for windows of opportunity to serve God, to join with this movement, that we can change lives. That we're not just being comfortable, that we're being like Matthew who got up when he was called by Jesus, left it all, and served him. Like we're being like those pastors all around the world who are living lives where they're caring for people first. Well, caring for Jesus first, and then caring for people in the way that Jesus would call them to. Let's be a part of a movement that never ends, that's forever, that will shape eternity. And if we want to do that this week, we can start engaging, and not just this week, but really for our lives, with this next step. It says, I will give the keys to my life over to Jesus so I can experience his kingdom, power, and glory forever. Amen. Don't we want to experience that? Don't we want to experience his power on earth? Don't we want to see his glory, miracles happen? I know that sometimes it'll mean hard decisions, hard choices, but I want to see what the author is doing. I know he's working. I want to be a part of it. I don't want to leave the world yet. I don't want to leave his realm yet. I want to be a part of it, and I want to see amazing things happen. So let's bring his kingdom and his power and his glory to earth. Let's call upon it through prayer this week. If you've been watching this, you've been listening, and you're saying, this sounds good, but the apartment building is still in my name. I haven't given it over to Jesus yet. I want to tell you that you can simply do that by just calling upon him. A new life, we say it's as simple as A, B, C. It's really just admitting, admitting that God is the one true God, that Jesus died for our sins, and that we're a sinner, and that we need forgiven. Sins meaning anything that keeps us from God. And B, believing. We believe in him as the one true God, and we, we ask him to be our Lord and Savior. You admit, you believe, you confess your need for Lord and Savior. You confess your need for forgiveness. And if you do that, God will enter into your life. So right now, why don't we pray? Why don't, why don't we call upon God and ask him to join your life if you've never given it to Jesus before? Give him the keys over and then watch and experience what God is doing and be a part of the movement of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Dear God, I call upon you right now. I pray that if there's anyone watching right now that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that you will speak to their hearts and that they will pray this prayer in their own words, their own heart. They'll say, dear God, I believe you are the one true God. I believe you died for my sins. Forgive me of my sins. Own my life. Be my Lord. Make me a new creation. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. May that be the truth in your life. As we live, as we move, let us do it with a purpose. Let's live with an opportunity to change lives, to partner with something greater than ourselves, to see God's kingdom and his power and his glory come to earth forever and ever, amen. I wanted to end today with the Lord's Prayer. We've been talking about it. We've mentioned it all throughout. But I wanted to pray it with you before we close today, just as a closing of this series, but really, again, not the end. So wherever you are, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me right now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours 
is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for for being with us today. Thank you for watching, for listening. Have a great week. Join us next week as we kick off during our Easter weekend with New Beginnings Redux.